Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Spodcast. It's 2018. And we still have this kinda, name. Kind of wish it was 2015 now, but we can't all get what we want. Uh, joining me is Glitch. Hello. Or Jacob. I don't know what you want to call today at this point. I don't think that I could convince you to consistently call me Jacob as much as I've I would like that. I've been working on it. Well, um, then this is a public test. <laughs> okay, Jacob. Uh, also with me here is Mumbles. Hi, please, please just keep calling me Mumbles. Don't. That's it. Just Mumbles, please. Whatever you, you say, you, Jacob. You have another name, don't you? Don't. Nope. This is Mumbles. It's Archduke Ferdinand. Mumbles got assassinated to start World War One two hundred or one hundred and four years ago. Archduke. What? What How was can it? Star I gun. My own death. Galaxy oh. gun. Galaxy gun. That's what it was. Galaxy yeah. gun. Yeah, galaxy that gun. one's fine too. There yeah, that's cool. Oh man, the Star Wars expanded universe. Also, here is Chris. Why twenty fifteen specifically? Because that was the year before everything got ruined. I guess. I just feel like you're setting yourself up for having that fall again. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to be, like, 400 years in the future when we've reached a post-scarcity utopia and it's Star Trek, you know, but... You know what might be better, Josh? Maybe if you were a long time ago. Maybe in a galaxy far, far away. Well, we can't. We can't go to Star Wars yet. We got announcements. I thought I thought we were going right into Star Wars. I could have sworn the note no, was we're going right into Star Wars. Three minutes ago, I told you what I was going to do, and I was like, we'll start well, with the Well, you're not going to get a better segue we'll out of me Star now, Wars. so I hope God you enjoyed damn. that one. That's anyway, uh... Fucking Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> we had something to talk about with the show or something, but I don't remember it anymore. No, uh... <laughs> So, uh, we're, uh, the announcement for this should be up, um, already, but, um, we're finally going to add, uh, Patreon reward tiers to the Patreon. Uh, so people who, uh, donate at one, five, ten, or fifteen dollars will be getting different rewards. Um, and, like, I, I've just, I've kind of treated the Patreon as sort of just this donate button and haven't really been doing more than cursory work on it, and I feel like I should really do more than that, um, especially <laughs> putting everything into perspective was the, the whole Patreon meltdown last month, uh, where Patreon just apparently went insane uh, and decided we're just going to kill everything for, especially for $1 donations, which is like something like 40% of the donations that we, we get at, um, on the spoiler warning Patreon is, is just $1, uh, uh, pledges. And, you know, that's great. Um, absolutely. You know, uh, some people can't give more than that. Some people want to support a lot of different creators, $1 pledges. Uh, I'm happy either way, uh, that you want to support me in any kind of fashion. Um, and support this show. Uh, so, coming uh, now, I guess, uh, you will be getting rewards in exchange for that as well. Uh, in addition to that, I wanted to talk briefly about um, kind of our plan going forward for the year with the show. Um, so, I think something that's kind of been thrown into uh, stark relief recently is, like, doing long-form Let's Plays has a lot of downsides, and, like, especially, like, like I rem I'm remembering back to, like, the Knights of the Old Republic season, we all got bored of that game within, like, like by the, the two-thirds mark. Uh, and the last four or five weeks of recording that game was just kind of... Uh, we didn't have a lot to say. Um, 
and we run into that fairly often when recording long-form Let's Plays, and it's always kind of this this thing where, like, we're all really hyped about going into a game, and then we get halfway through it, and we're like, I wish I was doing something else. Um, so something we're, we're going to do to fix that is we're not necessarily going to focus rigidly on doing one game, start to finish, uh, all the content contiguously, uh, and and making that a series anymore. Um, which is not to say we're not going to do long-form stuff in some fashion or another, but uh, I, I think we're all much happier if we can feel free to skip over sections that are boring or filler or grindy or we just don't have anything to say. And sometimes we might be interested in looking at, like, say, like, we'll never do a full Let's Play of The Witcher 3. That would be crazy. That would take forever. It would literally be like 50 or 60 hours at the short end of what we could make it. Um, but it would be really it's interesting to do like... an entire year. Yeah, or longer. But it would be interesting to do like... Like something I've been thinking about doing for a while is like, why don't we just do the Bloody Baron quest in The Witcher 3 or, or some of the other uh, big side quests in The Witcher 3 that, were, that are really cool. Um, so coming in 2018, after the end of the Dishonored 2 season, we'll finish that out um, normally, uh, you'll probably see more things like that um, interspersed in with, with, with doing long-form Let's Play stuff occasionally, especially if the game's shorter, um, or doing a long-form Let's Play like we did Half-Life 2 and Half-Life 2 Episode 1, where we don't necessarily play through the entire game all at once but we can skip over certain parts to get to uh, to the parts that we really want to talk about. And this will hopefully keep us uh, engaged uh, so that we're not just constantly phoning it in. And also allow us to do stuff like, maybe we want to do like a look at, like say, Primordia would be a good game to do this on, where we want to um, do sort of an extended quick look on it. You know, we had the, the 20 minutes with Primordia, uh, I guess that was a year and a half ago now, Um and that was like an hour, but maybe we want to spend like two or three or four hours with an indie game or something. Um, and in this format, we can potentially do that without um, having too much trouble trying to figure out where where this really fits in our format. So um, that's our basic plan for 2018. We're also going to do more Hangouts, more Quick Looks. Um, we're going to do a monthly patron-only live spodcast, um, which I think the plan is to, to record that live so people can be commenting on that live um, and and do that live, and that'll be the patron-only segment of it, and then it'll later get posted on YouTube. Um, so we're really excited to do that. We just recorded a new Save versus Death episode. That'll be going up soon. We hope to, to you know do more mini-series kind of stuff like that. Um, but yeah, let us know uh, what you guys all think of that. Um, we're really excited to be uh, to be kind of moving on from the format that we inherited from when we were doing it on Twenty Sided to doing kind of more what we really want to do with the show. And uh, the last four or five weeks has given us time to really think about that and kind of plan that out. Uh, so with announcements out of the way, we can now move on to uh, the big topic for discussion here, which is uh, we all saw Star Wars. Along with everybody, Boo. Other human what a planet. lame segue! I'm sorry, you, you didn't give me setup. <laughs> if if you had given me a segue setup at any point during this the podcast, <laughs> I could have edited you. that in somewhere else. But now it's goddamn you! I just can't come up with these things on myself on my own on myself. <laughs> 
so this is going to be, I think, for the purposes of discussing this movie in any kind of fashion, uh, like unmarked spoilers from here on out. I, it's really difficult to talk about this film in a way that doesn't spoil stuff. Um, so like, I feel like anyone who really cares about Star Wars has probably seen this film already. It's been out for three weeks. But, you know, just a warning in case you haven't seen it. You don't really want to spoil yourself. Maybe you're looking to see it on Blu-ray or something uh, in a couple months. Uh, but we're going to be talking about this in spoiler terms. So, um, starting out, uh, what'd you guys think? I liked it. I also liked it. <laughs> I mean, I didn't, um, I liked Force Awakens a little bit more because I think the twists in that movie were uh, more impactful to me. Um, and it was interesting to see the way that they were doing characters and stuff. Um, but this one, it dug deeper than most Star Wars movies do without totally biffing it. And um, I like that they try new things. So overall, I liked it too. Yeah, I yeah. I um, think... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, echoing off of what Mumble said, I'm really glad they took risks. Some of those risks did not pay off, I thought. And other ones did. Um, some stuff got lost along the way, but then this is probably the most um, thematic Star Wars we've seen as far as it has... Um, threads throughout the whole thing that connected all together and, and tell an interesting story. So I liked it overall. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like it definitely suffered from being a little bit too long. There were some pacing issues, especially in the middle, especially with the casino planet. Um, I was, I was watching a, a Jenny Nicholson video on it and, and her suggestion was just like, take out the casino planet entirely and just put them on the dreadnought the whole time. Uh, and I think that probably would have worked better. It would, it would have been a little bit less weird, like, oh, we have to... There's... Everything's really urgent, but also we have, like, 18 hours. We can just kind of fly off to some yeah. other planet, like, whatever. It sure would have been nice for the main cast to spend time together in the films, which is something we haven't seen much of in any of them. That was interesting. There, like... The cast was entirely separated in this in this film, aside from um, Poe, uh, Finn, and Rose. Like everybody else was just like off elsewhere. Um, and Leia and even then, their screen time together was taken out major. for half the film. Um, but I, I really liked the uh, the various different um, character arcs. I, I liked Poe's arc a lot, and apparently a lot of people didn't. Um, but I thought it was a really interesting. Um, you know, the first time Star Wars has ever really delved into like the the idea that like, hey, you know, you're going on these crazy suicide blow up missions and people die, and maybe that's not necessarily the best option all the time. I think that there was a lot of um, failure in that movie, and it wasn't the same kind of heroic failure that was like in Empire Strikes Back, where like they failed, but it was still like, ah, oh, they'll get them next time. It's fine. Yeah, like. In this one, it was like, oh, no, they really fucked up. Their idea sucked, actually. And I think that, like, there was a lot of different instances where they just failed. And it was just like, well, that didn't work. Come up with something else now. And it, and I think that, like, um, for Star Wars fans, it's kind of hard to see. Like, these are supposed to be these three awesome characters. And they're supposed to, like, be great at stuff. And if they fail, it's just because they'll get them next time and that kind of thing. And I think I liked, I liked it because each time they failed, I was like, what really? Oh, okay. Uh, sure. Yep. Yeah, let's try something else. Let's 
okay. It just didn't it didn't quite feel the same way as like the original trilogy did, but not in a bad way, essentially. Yeah, it's something that George Lucas would never do. Yeah, exactly. Like even Revenge of the Sith at the end where all the Jedi are dying, there's still like that like, oh well, we're gonna get them next time kind of hope spot. Um and this film like, it does have that at the end, but it puts into perspective far better than I think Revenge of the Sith ever did. Like, how much they had lost and how much had been yeah. messed up. Where they, they start with a fleet and they end with the Falcon and, like, 30 people. Yeah. Um, I, I really liked Mark Hamill and Luke Skywalker in this a lot. Um, I think it was a really... Nice contrast from the um, very, very, very vanilla good guy, almost Mary Sue-ish Luke that we have in the Expanded Universe, where uh, everything basically worked out, and he was the best Jedi, and he's still kicking, like, 45 years later and doing stuff and it's like man is anything like like it feels like luke's character just kind of ends in the expanded universe um whereas in this film i, th I think it was a really interesting uh sort of uh subversion that like you know oh turns out you can't just go and rebuild the jedi order just like it was and everything's gonna work out when everybody who was involved in that is dead and you have no guidance i um with the in regards to the Jedi stuff, I thought it was kind of weird how like Ray keeps the books. Did you did anyone else think that was weird? Like yeah. the whole point was to burn the tree down so the books are destroyed and you can kind of start the Jedi order from the beginning and work it back up so it doesn't turn into the fucking gold-plated shit show that it was in the prequels <laughs> like you don't you don't want the jedi order to end up that powerful and that like yeah just i, I don't want to say lazy but like almost like they don't have any understanding of how the real world works i feel like a right. lot of the council and the people staying in the yeah and so i thought the idea was like well let's just start it up again and ray is interested enough in the Jedi's that maybe she'll want to do it next. But like she keeps the books and it was just Yoda. I don't know. Fucking playing a trick on Luke. Like I didn't, I didn't really get that part at all. I mean, yeah. Yoda usually plays tricks on Luke in fairness. I know, but why, why? Well, What's the purpose it's about, of it? Just it's about having Luke let go of his past, right? That whole scene wasn't about actually burning down the Jedi. The scene was about making sure that Luke recognized that his failure is not the thing that should define him, but instead he should help his friends because that's what matters. And and was, like, Rey keeping it supposed to be a specific rejection of Kylo Ren's uh, let go of the past, kill it if you have to? That's Possibly. A, yeah, that makes sense. I think that's the whole point, because... Um, Kylo, uh, unlike everyone else who's failing, um, all of our our good guys fail and learn from it. Um, you know, Ray fails when she goes to go confront Snoke with Kylo. She fails to convert Kylo, but so then she goes and helps her friends. And um, and Poe obviously with the whole uh, you can't just go and be a badass all the time because sometimes that doesn't work. And he learns at the end. You know, let's pull back our forces because it's a suicide run and and it 
it's better that we just cut our losses. Um, and but Kylo doesn't learn those lessons. He's he he takes his failure, he kills his past, and doesn't learn from it. The whole point was that you are gonna fail, and that you're gonna that's gonna happen, and that you need to learn from that. Um, and I think that that that's what the the movie's trying to say with her taking the books of like it was a failure, but not just discarding all of that. We shouldn't just throw it out. We should take it and learn from like why it went wrong. I'm hoping they that's what they do in the next film. It could just be literally she rebuilds the 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 Jedi the same old way, like because that would be a J.J. I mean, Abrams thing to do. Yeah, Abrams is running it, so who knows. <laughs> About the only thing I've heard rumored about the next film that I kind of agree with is that it's probably going to involve a time skip for lots of reasons. Um, I hope one... That was, I mean, like this, that was interesting about this film. There was zero time skip. It literally picks off like right after the end credits of uh, The Force Awakens. Yeah. Usually like the original trilogy, it's a couple months. It's implied to be like somewhere between six months and a year between the movies. I mean, um, um, A New Hope and, and The Empire Strikes Back was like three years, so... Really? Yeah. Original trilogy takes place over a period of four years, so uh, New Hope to Empire Strikes Back is three, and then Empire Strikes Back to Return of the Jedi is like one. That is a long time to be owing a lot of money to Jabba the Hutt. I, I, I kind of yeah. sympathize with Jabba <laughs> the Hutt more. Um, but there's like lots of reasons you're going to want to time skip. One, like we said, there's only like 30 people left in the resistance and you're not going to really have traditional star Wars, uh, fleets versus fleets battles or, um, any sort of ground troop assaults or anything like it, it would have to be like an oceans 11 style heist to get 30 people in to destroy the empire. It doesn't make any sense at this point. Um, the other thing a time skip gets you is you can gracefully write Carrie Fisher out, um, have, just sort of in the title crawl, an offhand mention, and that can just sort of be a nice exit without having to do weird, creepy CGI stuff. Um, and also, the time skip lets you have uh, uh, Ray become uh, a properly trained Jedi from the books, at least. And it also lets Kylo kind of shape the Empire to what he would like it to be. Um, and all of that, all of that to me makes sense. I think we're going to see that time jump. I don't know how long it's going to be, but there's going to be a time jump, I think. I think it'll be interesting to see like the the divisions in the um, first order that are going to form over that time skip because like you know that like the big conflict there is going to be Kylo versus uh, Hux like they don't like each other. No, I want them to be best friends. Hux needs to survive <laughs> because I love Donald Gleason. <laughs> But he's such I think Hux so is going to survive. Asshole, I think Hux is... I'm so mad. Why does he have to be the Hitler analog? I he's think my favorite he's going to, like, fucking punk Kylo pretty hard in the next <laughs> movie. Like, they I keep, sure hope so. they, they keep, like, hinting at it that he's just going to punk him. Because right now, the only thing that keeps him from punking him is the fact that Kylo could, like, force choke him. That's about it. That's it. So, like, I if mean, I was him, if I was Hux, I'd be like, I'm going to punk that guy real hard, and it's going to be great for me, and then I'll take over. Hux spent literally this entire movie getting dunked on by everyone, so... Yeah. Like, you kind of expect that maybe he'll get uh, to return the favor at some point. Something. But... <laughs> Something out of it. Um, I really liked um, Admiral Holdo, uh, and... The like the hyperspace ram was one of the most breathtaking scenes I've seen in a film. Like 
that it, was really good it would, and it's not something you expect from a Star Wars film. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It, it it is not something you would expect to see in a Star Wars movie. We saw something like it in Rogue One, I think, where they take the where they try to like use little ships to throw a uh, star destroyer down on top of the shield. Um, and yeah. that was cool, but that feels yeah. more like how Star Wars would do it normally, where it feels more like yeah, yeah, World War II style. Let's take a blimp and ram it or into something. Whereas this was like hardcore sci-fi and was nothing like you would expect to see in Star Wars under Lucas. The way the whole sound cut out and it pulled back, and you could just feel the destruction was really cool to see. That was like uh, more cinematic than I think anything in any previous Star Wars film has been. Like the movie is worth seeing for that scene alone in my opinion. Yeah. Though I will have to dis- disagree with you Josh. I did not like Holdo. Um I had a feeling we were going to disagree of, on this point. Yeah, there's a lot of de- debate back and forth. I didn't dislike her as um like as a character as much as I think some of her decisions were made for plot convenience sake so that you can kind of had um, uh, Poe make more mistakes, but, like, some of the things she did were questionable in my book, um, and that ruined her a bit for me. I don't know how much we want to get into that argument, So, but... I, I think I think we can spend a, a minute or two on it. Um, I, I kind of felt the same way that you did initially, but um, with more time to think about it, and, and having read and heard more um, critiques and, and opinions from other people, I kind of understand where Holdo went. So so basically the argument is like, did not Holdo by um, withholding the plan from Poe instead of just fucking telling him what was going on inadvertently lead to the... First order getting to getting wind of the plan and um, blowing up a lot of people in their transports on their way out. Um, but so so from the the perspective of Admiral Holdo, uh, who presumably does not know Poe very well, uh, Poe is a dude who has just been demoted for um, disobeying orders and getting a lot of people killed because he doesn't apparently uh, take into account. Um, the value of their lives versus the value of the strategic target or whatever, um, in a way that Leia likes, uh, and then makes a big scene and is insubordinate. And this is a person that Holdo's never met and, and is kind of just being this disrupting force. And she's supposed to look at that and go, okay, let's tell him exactly what's going on. Um, and additionally, the whole, if the whole argument was just that, I might agree with you. If the whole argument was she just didn't tell Poe, that would be something that I could I could see. But she didn't tell anyone at all. And well, like, we don't know that like, for sure. Like surely other people must have been obviously up, some like, amount must of have known knew. about it. But but the the fact of the matter is, um, you have this this situation where everyone is about to die, um, and and. Rose says that she's been down here and, like, the past couple of hours had to stop three people from jumping ship. So the morale on the ship is at an all-time low. And you have a new leader in charge, which is already going to... People are already going to be like, okay, what's this new, new leadership change going to be? That happens um, in real life, you know, when, when new leadership is introduced into uh, an organization. So you're already... You're demoralized. 
your previous leader is on the brink of death. You get this new leader in, and what does she do to encourage uh, her crew, which is abandoning ship um, and trying to leave? Uh, what does she do? She says, well, hope doesn't won't always work if you only believe in it when the sun's out or something like that. But she doesn't do anything to say, look, crew, uh, things are really shitty. Um, and I know that, but we have a plan. You need to just trust us. Um, we're going to get through this. Like, she does this whole bullshit, like, don't worry about it because if you worry about it, well, how are you ever going to survive this? It's, it's a total cop-out. I will admit that line was not great. Well, it was also I a line... I kind of... Go ahead, Mike. Oh, I just really got this vibe that, like... I don't know. I might be really off base, but I got this vibe that they kind of wanted her to behave how people perceive Hillary. And people perceive Hillary as someone that might be competent, but doesn't necessarily tell you everything that you want to hear and isn't necessarily um, down to earth. Um, and I think that since this movie was made in a like highly political climate, I think yeah, it's possible that, that the... The idea is this is like a Hillary-esque leader and like maybe she and I I mean I don't have these kind of political views necessarily but I think like the perceived idea is she doesn't know how to talk to people she doesn't she has a lot of experience but she's not really sure how to convey that and in the end she might do the right thing and I felt like as I was watching the movie I was like oh shit she's just like this is just supposed to be Hillary, essentially. That was just the vibe that I was getting. Um, and when the movie was written, I'm sure it was during, like, all yeah. of that political shit. And I, like I said, I don't really have any, like, personal views that way. I think it's just how, like, pop culture perceives her. And so you would make a character that is similar to how she is perceived. So that's just what I got out of it. I think Hillary Clinton might be better with purple hair. <laughs> <laughs> that she would have won the election if only she had purple hair. <laughs> uh, I if only it were that, that simple. Uh, I, I think part of the problem too is we are so used to Star Wars starring the royal family that gets access to all of the information and has unfettered absolute control over everything, and in this one we don't really like. In Star Wars, the, in the original trilogy, you had Luke, who was sort of a chosen one Jedi kid. You had Leia, who was literally the leader of the Resistance. You had Han Solo, a smuggler third party who, because he's our friend, we let into every board meeting and rebel uh, secret club <laughs> meeting. We ever. promoted him to um, general. Well, we didn't see that. We just know in the movies that he's... The, okay, they do call him general, but... Uh, you know, it, it's it's just, it's weird, right? Everyone in the main character position in Star Wars gets a seat at the round table of decision-making. And in this movie, we still have that view of characters like Finn and, and uh, Poe because they're referred to as heroes of the rebellion and they're, you know, the main protagonist of the film. But in reality, it really is still Leia that's in charge of this thing and Holdo above, above the, our protagonists. And so I think that's part of what's jarring is we we're supposed to assume that Holdo is in some way bad um, because she's clashing with uh, our protagonist, who who we assume is sure. going to be right. And so everything. I think is it's just... intentionally framed that way. Yeah. Like. Oh yeah, definitely. 
like it's it's set up in a way and I, I've I did read an interview where Laura Dern was talking about that she was approached by uh, uh, Ryan Johnson about this part where they wanted something that would be the exact counter to Finn they wanted somebody who was in charge of him and had power over him but was sort of his opposite uh, you know didn't dress in military fatigues or, or we talking po, about Poe Poe po. sorry Poe okay I, I, that's a weird parallel no, they, <laughs> it's like sure this is... whatever you want buddy <laughs> whatever's no, but... gonna get me in the least amount of trouble I'm Finn <laughs> but, but they wanted someone who would like who was above him militarily but dressed real feminine and in dresses rather than military fatigues and, and was sort of like the exact opposite of the sort of person who's being more conservative with lives than Poe's grand heroics and they, they literally created this creature or creature a character to uh, oppose uh, Poe directly uh, and act as a foil. So, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's and I it's like that they did that. I just wish they would have done it better because it feels like it was it was done for the purpose of it being that, not done because um, that's like that's what works for the story. Like they were like, it needs to be this way, so it is this way. But maybe it didn't work. And if they would have just worked a little more to make her character seem like like, hey. I, I'm pulling rank here. I'm not going to tell you the plan because there is a plan, but you're just, you know, you just got demoted. She didn't indicate ever that that was the case. So that, that to me, really took me out of the scene. I wanted to like that character. I loved her sacrifice with the ship, but I, I couldn't stop thinking about how she was just like, well, you know, I'm not going to tell you the plan because no reason that leads to a mutiny. And that's... There, there's a degree of, of, of a fair argument there, especially in... What was I going to say? I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. Um, I think you can hear the gears turning a little too loud in this movie with regard to its thematic intent. There are things that happen... That I agree happen, with that, yeah. Yeah. And it totally makes the film the richest, most engaging Star Wars from a thematic perspective. It's, it's one of the only Star Wars movies with really something on its mind about characters and what they're doing. Um, but... It also means that like stuff does happen to facilitate the themes. Again, Canto Bite being a good example. Canto Bite is there to establish the themes um, and basically give Rose and Finn um, a, a more in-depth look at what their their little branch of this is. And even the fact that we separate all the main characters out so they each get their own little narrative arc with Poe on the bridge fighting with uh, Holdo and with Finn and Rose going off to Canto Bite and with Ray working with Luke and, and uh, fighting... Um, Kylo Ren, each one has their own arc that contributes to the overall narrative uh, or the overall thematic thrust. If you could call Finn's an arc. He is an arc. I mean, Finn's he arc, is an arc was more like uh, four scenes. Like, it was well, kind of the beginning of the arc and the end of the arc, I feel like. Finn wants to leave, Finn's running away, and then Finn decides not to run away. Yes, but I mean, it's that's that's the whole point of the DJ character, right? Like that that is that is one of the things that makes the Canto Bite stuff not work, and why people want to see it cut. Not just because it makes yeah. the second act flabby, which it does, but also because like the only thing that really sort of puts any tension on Finn's decision is DJ, who's supposed to be this character that argues that you shouldn't join, that you should just do whatever, profit and, and have fun. That's why Finn is so in love with Canto Bite initially. Like, look at all this money, this is amazing, I, I want this life, this is great. Um, but then he finds out where that money comes from, then he meets DJ, who says, don't join, find your own path, it doesn't matter, they're fighting all the time, nothing matters. 
but then is betrayed by him and watches his friends die as a result of this guy that refuses to have any ethics and join either side. Yeah. Um, and that is supposed to be the thing that really pushes Finn towards saying, like, no, the rebellion is a thing I'm committed to now, which is why he has the big reveal when fighting Phasma about, like, you know, I'm rebel scum because he's embraced that part of his identity now. He is, he is a rebel through and through, not just somebody running from the First Order. Um, and... I do think that there's it, it doesn't quite click like I, all the pieces are there, but but as a character arc, it's it's just sort of awkwardly shaped. But I get what they were trying to go for. Uh, I also oh, man. wasn't a fan of like the romance Finn had. Like it oh, didn't make yeah. sense to me. Yeah, and um, it... it felt very forced. And also, they're like on-screen kiss was like kissing your sister like it was so just okay especially (laughs) after how hard the first film seemed to like like finn is like even at the beginning of this film is like oh i'm all about ray you know as soon as he runs away and ray gets captured in the force awakens he he changes he does a uh 180 and and is all about keeping Ray safe, and, and Ray is very important to him, and at the beginning of this movie, oh, I gotta go save Ray, I'm gonna jump ship because I need to go save Ray, I need to get this bracelet away so that when she comes here, she isn't immediately killed. Um, right. And then, and then, this film, it's like, I guess, I like, as soon as they get to Canto Bite, ah, oh, I love this planet, I wish I could just stay here, forget Ray, and then I guess I'll fall in love with you while you lecture me about how hard your life is, even though I was taken away from my family at birth and made into a stormtrooper. In, in fairness, yeah. we don't know if he feels that way about her. Does anyone yeah, else I'm feel like they change it up? They should have done the something. Time. They should have said, they should have indicated like, oh, well, he doesn't necessarily feel that way or this is how he's feeling. We yeah. have no idea how Finn is feeling about anyone. And he's like, I'm Poe. Well, and I don't think that <laughs> I like, like that Ray better needs... than, than Rose. I um I don't think that Ray needs to be like a romantic interest for every fucking dude in the movie because yeah. like first it's Finn then it's Kylo now it might be Poe like because when the very last scene he she's like hey I'm Ray I'm like a fucking Jedi or whatever and he's like I know who you are <laughs> I'm like can we please can we please petition them to edit that line in hey I'm Ray I'm a fucking Jedi or whatever it's the I only time we hear the f bomb. <laughs> I'm a Jedi or whatever. I'm a fucking Jedi or whatever. No, like for real, like, like can we just not? Can we not? I, yeah. I am. I am one of those people that were like, oh, the Jedi should be able to have husbands. Come on. And then, like, after this movie, I was like, nope. <laughs> Fuck that oh, shit. Like, like it... every boy wants to date her. Like, no more dating. <laughs> like, if you're if you're gonna do a romance in Star Wars, you gotta make it like a three-movie act like they did with the first trilogy, or make it... I mean, they did a three-movie act with the fucking pre- prequels, too, but, like, not... Oh, don't make yeah. it creepy if like that one. That romance. <laughs> the don't the romance romance creepy times. times. Never mind. <laughs> no. Yeah, like, a... Uh, uh, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> but, like, for real, like, I just feel like they're like, oh, shit, we need to have romantic stuff happen besides this Twilight fucking I... Ray Kylo thing going on. So, God, I hope they uh... don't do that. It's funny you mention that. <laughs> it's funny you mention that because I really am worried that, like, it, I am worried in the hands of J.J. Oh, Abrams yeah. you're going to end up with something yeah, like... That's, oh, that's you are. 
like I a kind of wish that the next movie was also Rian you Johnson because like they he would set that up and then have it like nope that's not actually going to happen at all. But I don't know. Oh, I you might actually do that. It's going to get Twilight as fuck up in the third movie, uh, and everyone's just going to have not. to deal with it. It's, it's going to suck. <laughs> Is the the epilogue of the the third movie? Ray's just like, oh yeah, here's my girlfriend. Say what I am. Like, dodge that thing entirely. A Sith. <laughs> that's a, that's a, a, a fucking deep Jedi. I guess. <laughs> a fucking Jedi. <laughs> oh man. Um, <laughs> does does anyone think Rose would have been better paired with Poe for the for the plot no. of this movie? Like, because Poe is the person who made the bad call that got. Rose's sister killed, and they never really directly addressed that at all. I feel like I mean, that, that would have had more weight to it. I feel like she wouldn't know that though. So, like, maybe that's something that could be explored in a further movie or in some sort of comic maybe. book. But because, like, she works the 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 giant sewage system underneath this futuristic spaceship. Um, <laughs> I don't know if she was in the room where where Leia was sitting there hearing. Poe go, ah, come on, it's fine, we just lost 30 guys, but we Probably blew up a big cool not. ship. I mean, I don't disagree that it's an interesting angle, and I think if J.J. Abrams was a more interested, skilled filmmaker, you could do something with that in the next movie. Um, but I, I doubt that. Um, and can we, can we talk about Captain Phasma? Can we talk about... Yeah. Um, Alright, let's talk about Captain Phasma. All, right, all, all, that, all that build-up... All that build up yep. pre pre release, like oh she's gonna have a big role in this thing, and she gets half the scenes and dies. So, so this doesn't bother me because first of all we don't know she's dead because it's Star Wars. Second of I all, I hope she even, is. If she is dead, she I I recently rewatched the original trilogy. She got no more or less of a treatment than than Boba Fett. Like the but only thing that, Boba Fett got sure, that was a ship. Yeah, but Boba Fett didn't. Didn't get touted in every trailer, yeah, and they, and they didn't have Gwendolyn Christie have doing books. like main character dealing interviews and stuff. She's not dead. She's not. Have dead. they already confirmed there's that? N- no, but there's no way she's not. There's no way she got punked like that. It was so <sighs> obvious to did. me. I'm no. so tired of them trying to make her character work. It was. I feel so like I agree with you, Mumbles. I don't think she's dead did either. Did they but try I to make to her dead. character work? I don't feel like they no. did. <laughs> They've, Sorry, they've been trying ahead. through the books and comic books to try to make it work for ages. Make her work. I just thought that her quote-unquote death was like an obvious fucking like tip of the hat to Boba Fett. And like to me, if they're gonna do that, to me it means that like, no, she's not actually dead. Because we did that once and we literally never heard... We, we couldn't stop hearing about it from nerds for like 40 fucking years so here we're not we're gonna pretend we're gonna do it but the next movie she's gonna come back and it's all good I could see like that. there's no way she's dead <laughs> they, they do what they did in this movie again where halfway through the movie someone just kills Hux and it turns out to be Phasma and she takes over his main villain right? no it can't be allowed I love Donald Gleason. I'm- the the only reason to leave Phasma dead really is that she sort of fulfilled her role in the story. She was Finn's primary antagonist and represented his past with the uh, the Empire, uh, the New Order, whatever. And in this movie, Finn overcame his the de- de- dealing with his past. And again, the whole movie's about moving on from your past. And killing Phasma is symbolic of Finn finally embracing the rebellion and moving beyond fear of his roots. 
Um, so there's like symbolic meaning behind killing Phasma in this movie. But I, again, I think she's like a Boba Fett character. I, I don't care either way if she comes back. That'd be cool. If not, whatever. Honestly, I thought she died in the first movie until people started talking about, like, they started talking about, like, oh, yeah, she's coming back for this one. I was like, oh, I guess she woke up and, and got out of the trash compactor and managed to get off Starkiller base before it blew up. I want to see that story. I want to see the story of going from, like, <laughs> the tra- literally the trash compactor all the way through to off-planet in, like, ten minutes. That is an intense I, run. I think, they, I think that they had a book about it. And not only does she, oh, yeah. not only does she, um, it might have been a comic book. I know I've, I've heard it's about Star it. Star Wars. Um, There's probably two novels and three comic book <laughs> series on it on this particular Well, topic. anyway, she gets out of the trash compactor and then she gets to a security console, notices somebody else has looked up who uh, lowered the shields because, you know, she wanted to erase the fact that she was the one who lowered the shields. Noticed that, went and got like a TIE fighter or something. Um, and, and, like, this, this other chick w- was already in the TIE Fighter, so she, she drug that, that person along, making her think that they're gonna go hunt down this other guy who, uh, actually lowered the shields, and they go and hunt down the guy who found out that she lowered the shields, and she kills everyone, and it's the whole big thing, and it's like, uh, what the fuck? and I'm like, alright, you've set her up to be this character through the Expanded Universe things, are you gonna make her something? No, you're gonna make her fall into a pit. I feel like you're projecting the need for this character to be important from reading all these comic books. I, I haven't read well, any they of them were myself. Billing but her as important. Like, that's my problem thing, with like, it. It's like and I, they've made such a big deal about her. Just do something with her. Like handle the character. This correctly. may just be Rian Johnson subverting expectations again. In this case, like well, just be like yeah, let's let's play up this character who's got like three scenes and then dies, or or I, I mean, falls into a fiery pit and may be dead. Um, at, at a certain point, you have to wonder how much of this can really be laid at the feet of Ryan Johnson, right? He's responsible for the film, and he used a symbol of Finn's past to represent Finn's character growth and embracing of the rebellion. Um, the fact that there are comic books and movies and toys and an entire extended universe obsessed with every sure, minor yeah. one-off character is not his fault, or even the character. It's obviously no. not the character's fault. And like, it feels like we're just talking about Boba Fett again. <laughs> Like, exactly the same conversation that you would have about Boba Fett is what we're having right now. I mean, I play Battlefront. Well, I don't actively play it because it sucks, but I I own Battlefront 2. And, like, Bosk is a character in Battlefront 2 as a hero. No one knows who Bosk is. Bosk is in Star Wars for, like, ten minutes. Screw Bosk, but he's a hero of the Empire. Do do you know who IG-88 is? Yeah, he's the stupid robot from, uh, from the bad guy things of Jedi Knight. Yeah, did you know that, well, he was also in The Empire Strikes Back briefly. Did you know that in the old Expanded Universe, there were actually four robots named IG-88. They were all, like, different series of one, like, limited-run assassins droid, and they all, like, worked together and did, like, a terminator escalates kill all the humans. Um, and did you know that, like, the third IG-88 turned himself into the computer core for the Death Star 2 and was gonna take over and, like, kill everyone on board and just be the Death Star 2 and take over the galaxy? That was a plot line in the Expanded Universe. There's a so reason that none of that stuff is canon. one scene in the background with no lines. We shed all of that canon. <laughs> Yeah, but we lost such great things, such as Galaxy Gun. Yeah. <laughs> Rip Galaxy Gun. Uh, any other hot takes on Star Wars The Last Jedi? It's good. That's a hot take, apparently. 
Oh, that fucking it's... fight scene. That fucking fight scene was so dope. Ooh. It was like oh, yes. Stanley Kubrick fucking yes. directing a fight scene is what it looked like to me. They finally got so a lightsaber good. battle right. And it wasn't even a lightsaber battle, really. Oh, no lightsabers so... touched in the making of this film. It was so fucking brutal. But, like, it reminded me of, um... Remember, like, when we were playing Tomb Raider and we're like, oh, she just killed a guy and, like, she was sad for a second and then she's just <laughs> murdering everyone? Like, I got the same feeling with Ray. It's like, Ray fucking just <laughs> fucks some dudes up. And she's just like, meh, that's fine. But I figure she's I'm, probably I'm a, killed a bunch of people I'm in the desert, Jedi. so it's fine. Meh, I'm, I'm a, a fucking, fucking Jedi. Jedi. This is, this <laughs> is what I do. Were those supposed to be the the Knights of Ren? Do we did we ever get confirmation of that? The Praetorian Guard? I don't, I don't think so. Does any, I don't know if the writers I, remember that the Knights of Ren is a thing. He says to Kylo in the film that you're the leader of the Knights of Ren, but then why would the Knights of Ren then be his Praetorian Guard? And if they he was the leader of them, wouldn't that just mean that they would be loyal to Kylo? I don't think you that know, they are. Maybe Kylo's really bad at this, and all the Knights of Ren got killed on random missions. Well, I was thinking more it'd be cool that, like, Snoke, uh, in his limited knowledge of the Sith Order, at least convinced Kylo to, uh, that there could only be one, only be, you know, the rule two, and is like, alright, every one of you dudes is gonna have to fight each other, and I'll train the one that lives. And Kylo is, Kylo won, and therefore is the ruler of the Knights of Ren, only because he oh, lives. I would like that. That reminds me. I like that too. Um, I I I really liked uh, how Snoke basically thought that he made up a fail-safe plan for the rule of two, with like if okay, so like say they both killed Snoke, then they're both fucking Sith, obviously. So they're both they're both gonna hang out together and do shit Sith, Sith shit together. If Rey kills Kylo, then it's still rule of two. If Kylo kills Rey, that it's still rule of two. And I just thought, I was like, is he, like, trying to come up with this master, like... I mean, ultimately it failed, because they're the Sith. But, like, a <laughs> Sith plan to make the rule of two. Like, no matter what happens in this room, it's gonna be the fucking rule of two. Like, I don't know. I, I almost, like... I, I don't know if that was intentional, though. But as soon as it was over, I was like, holy shit, he was trying to make the rule of two. Like, no matter what. That's insane. I wonder if I mean, we're going to get more he, backstory on Snoke. It didn't violate it. Yeah, right. exactly. Because there's still only one now. Yeah. And Kylo wanted to take Rayon as like an apprentice, essentially. So We finally two. get the training montage that everyone has been wanting <laughs> out of this new trilogy. And it's Kylo fucking... trying to train Hux. And he sucks <laughs> at everything. <laughs> Please. And the whole... Please, I want it. The whole time he's like, "I'm not a, I'm not a fucking Sith. Like, I'm not. Obviously, what are you doing? <laughs> I don't doing? know how to use the Force. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Hux carrying uh, Kylo on his shoulders and running through an <laughs> obstacle course. Yes. Hear that, J.J. Abrams? Make it happen. I, I support the idea of the First Order becoming a sitcom. <laughs> All right. Um. So that was Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Uh, it's a really good movie, in my opinion. You should watch it if you haven't. And for some reason, you listen to all the spoilers in this. Uh, we didn't even talk about the Luke fight. Luke fight was cool. Uh, yep. But but let's. Uh, for those of you who have not seen it and are interested in seeing it, we'll leave the Luke fight to you to you for you yeah. to discover on your own. Little nugget. Uh, 
and um, this is a podcast about video games, I've been told. Uh, Mumbles, you've been playing something. Yes, besides Skyrim again. <laughs> I have been playing... It's just uh, one of those Battle... games you keep going back to. Well, Skyrim to me is like, as soon as it gets cold out, I want to play Skyrim. And I also haven't yeah. done the <laughs> Dark Brotherhood quest in a while, and I've recently seen a film that reminded me of playing Dark Brotherhood. So, uh, there. anyway... Have you guys you guys know who Tanya Harding is, right? Yep. Ice skater. Anyway, so they have this movie about her and they show the the hit on Nancy Kerrigan, which basically a dude just went in and hit her in the knee so she couldn't skate or whatever. And they do the whole thing. And the dude wanders into the ice skating rink, asks who Nancy is, because he hasn't seen her before, hits her, and then runs out. Uh, immediately takes the wrong turn, even though there's a giant sign that says exit, goes up to a glass door that's locked with a chain, and then headbutts it so he can escape. And I was like, oh shit, that's like being an assassin in an Elder Scrolls game. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what it feels like. Because you just walk into a town and you're like, uh, do you... Do you know who, like, Bard the Enchanter is? Like, oh yeah, he's right over there. And you're like, cool. Uh, stab! Don't mind me. Run away, run away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, anyway, but that's that's something else. I, I've also been playing um, Battle Chasers, which is a new kind of indie game. It's, it's technically indie game uh, based off a comic book called Battle Chasers, which I haven't read, but I'm going to now. It's a dungeon-crawling game, turn-based combat, um... But the artwork is really beautiful. The writing is fun and funny without being like Borderlands funny. Because, like, to <laughs> me. Borderlands funny. Well, it's one thing to be like a funny game, and it's another thing to be like, hey, everybody, we're so zany. Look <laughs> at us, out. we're so crazy. We love memes, don't you? Everybody does. Yeah. So. <laughs> And I say that with affection because obviously I like Borderlands, but um, Battle Chasers is, like, really well written. Um, It's a really interesting turn-based combat because um, there's some traditional classes, but for the most part, they're non-traditional kind of classes. Like, you have um, a girl with, like, gauntlets, essentially, and her thing is not necessarily hitting hard. It's more using it to shield, and she doesn't have a lot of health. So you use her basically, like... Um, you use her moves to build up her shields and the team shields, and then you um, make her the main aggro and have them just fucking attack shields instead of taking down her health. Or you have, like, um, a giant robot with a lot of health that does kind of a little bit of damage, but he mostly, like, does healing stuff. And so the classes are a little different, um, which makes it fun to play. The story is fun. It's pretty a traditional fantasy story, but it's not boring. Um, and there's fishing. There's a fishing thing. So I'm gonna do a video Obviously on it pretty soon. Yeah. Mechanic <laughs> that you can have in an RPG is fishing. I'm gonna do like a 10 minute indie video on it. I mean, it might be even longer uh, just to show it off. But it's really freaking great. It's really Mumbles. fun. As as someone who's heard of this game and is interested, I heard that it gets really slow because of a crafting system or something like that later on. Have you experienced that, or have you not like gotten that far into the game? I feel like I'm... I might be wrong, but I feel like I'm at least more than halfway through the game, and I haven't hit a weird crafting thing yet. Like, I'm doing... 
I'm I'm doing fine in the dungeons without having to craft a bunch of shit. So, um, not yet. And you'll have to let I'm... me know because I saw it and it looked interesting, but I wasn't sold because somebody told me it slowed down, and I hate slow either... games. Either. I'm not as far as I think I am in the game, which is very possible and happens a lot to me in turn-based RPGs. <laughs> We're like, oh yeah, clearly I'm at the end of this game. And it's like, no, you have 20 more hours. But I feel like I'm towards the end. Um, and I think that so far, the the crafting stuff is pretty non-sequential to me. It's just sort of like, nah, you can do this if you want. So, I don't know. I'll figure it out. Meanwhile, I'm sitting here, like we were talking earlier, like... Uh... And I was going, why haven't I heard about this game? This thing sounds right up my alley. I love dungeon crawlers, and I like traditional turn-based JRPG combat to an extent. Um, and it, like, it's got a really neat style to it. It's got like graphic novel cutscenes and stuff. A lot of like hand-drawn 2D art. Have me on the show more often because I got my pulse on the indie game scene. Yeah, I'm really. There. I'm it's, in the cut it's of really it. hard to to find good indie games on Steam just by looking yes. at the Steam interface. So yeah, it fucking is. You're totally right. It really, really is. Well, I've been playing an indie game lately. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's an indie game. I'm honestly not really sure what constitutes an indie game, but I don't want to admit it too much. Pretty much or else anything Mumbles that's not AAA not at this I'm point. Cool. Um, but we'll there's this. <laughs> Dang it. Um, there's this game called, uh, Slay the Spire. Uh, it's a super fun little deck buildy game. Um, and I say little oh. actually meaning it because it is quite small as a game. I think I, I quote unquote finished it in about maybe 20 hours, maybe, maybe a little less. Um, but, uh, I've continued to play it because I just love deck building games. Um, if you like games like Dominion, um, and Thunderstone, which are both, like board game, card games, physical and game games, um, tabletops. That's what I'm thinking of. Uh, you will probably like this. Uh, it it's pretty much in the same vein, and it's super fun. It does some interesting things with cards um, and turn-based combat, um, and I like it. I've seen this before, and I was interested in it. So if you like Dang it, it, I was hoping to to say, you know, I played this game, and you'd be like, oh, I've never heard of that. <laughs> you were hoping it's to be an indie like, hipster. You can't beat me. See, models. I'm trying to like. I'm trying to like. Yeah, I know you can't beat me. I'm I'm the hipster of all time. Uh, that's how <laughs> I am with music, or I was not so much anymore. And I'm like, I'm gonna be like that with indie games. Where it's like, hey, Mumbles, check out this cool thing. It's like how it is with like Crowfax people. And I don't want people to stop sending me Crowfax, but people send me Crowfax on Twitter like all the fucking time, and I'm like, yeah, I know. I knew that. I knew that hey, about Mumbles, crows. Did you know that crows can talk? <laughs> you know, my, yeah. my favorite character from the yeah. new Star Wars is Crowfax. Crowfax. <laughs> oh my god, that'd be my Star Wars name! I'd be a smuggler. But a really lazy one. <laughs> no, you'd be a smuggler that's really loyal and that whenever anyone gives you stuff, you'd come and bring them little trinkets too. Crowfax. Oh yeah, that'd be part of it. But I also... But I also like playing tricks on on other things. Just playing tricks for fun. Crowfax. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this needs to be a thing now. I need to figure out how to make this. Uh, my new life goal is to get into Star Wars somehow and get Crowfax made. Yes. <laughs> um, That's my new but name. One last note. 
on Slay the Spire, don't let the art style fool you. I didn't. I don't really love the art style, um, and the animations are lacking. But like, it's a fun game. So if you, I if think you, it's the cute. Style looks neat. Yeah, it's yeah, like it's, stylized. Yeah, but the anime. There's no animations really, uh, and it's oh. it kind of. I don't know. It looks it's good like and it's grating, But I definitely saw it's, it when I first saw it. I was like, I'm not sure about this. It's obvious that they um, like Homestuck to me. It's very obvious that they like Homestuck, and that's nice. Yeah, it feels a bit like that. <laughs> I feel like I'm the only person in the universe that remembers Problem Sleuth and prefers it to Homestuck. I have no yeah, idea what Homestuck I wouldn't, is. I wouldn't dig up that old argument. <laughs> no. Tell us in the comments that. if you remember that thing Josh said and it, why it's better than Homestuck. Oh yeah, no, please, in the comments, get in really no. deep conversations about fucking Homestuck, no. please. God damn it. <laughs> You've brought this upon yourself. Eight years of this show, uh, we've managed to avoid it. Have we? I'm pretty sure I've, the only time I've ever talked about Homestuck was on this show. I feel it's like Rutscarn tried to read Homestuck yeah. once and maybe got halfway through it. <laughs> No, he's read the whole thing, I think. Has he? Like, that's that's impossible. Nobody's so. read the entire thing. I'm going to say on record that Rutscarn is a Homestuck nerd, and you should add him on Twitter to talk in depth about how much you love Homestuck. That's what I'm you know why say. he's not here right now? Why? He, he... It's amazing. So we we recorded a Save versus Death episode just before recording this podcast, uh, and the reason we did that is because Red Scorn was here before everyone else, and a lot of people couldn't be here when he was here. So uh, he glitch and I decided to, or Jacob and I decided to um, ha! fail, get together, and I caught myself oh, at the very Dang least. It. Yeah, uh, I, I realized that I love to see you fail, but then also it means that you're not calling me the name I want you to call me. I mean, I can just call you Glitch all the time if you want. No. Um, so we decided to very quickly, like, for an hour, get together and record a Save vs. Death episode. Uh, and the reason that he couldn't be here is because he is going to do a live demonstration of a LARP system that he invented oh, or no. helped to design. Oh, my God. <laughs> am no. I cool yet, Mumbles? Just just by proxy, am I cool yet? So... Redskarn is the bar of, like, this uncool. Is the, this <laughs> is the reason why he's not here to prevent time. us from ducking on, <laughs> dunking on him. Oh, man. Buddy. Josh, have you been playing anything? Uh, I have... I just recently finished Assassin's Creed Origins, and I'm pretty happy with that video game in general. Um, it's... It's the best Assassin's Creed game in a in a number of years. I think I actually I like it more ever. than Assassin's Creed 2. Yeah, it's the best Assassin's Creed game ever, maybe. I like Assassin's Creed 1 more than 2 in a lot of ways because I feel like it was more thematically consistent, and I feel like this game is more thematically consistent than 1 was and significantly more than 2 was. Uh, so I like it a lot. I feel like it's the... So, like, pretty much every Assassin's Creed game is a revenge story, right? Like, oh no, the horrible Templar protagonist or antagonist burned down my village or killed my son or killed my family or whatever, and now I gotta go and kill them all and kill a whole bunch of other people because that's apparently the right thing to do in these circumstances. Literally uh, and, every and they all kind of want to... And they all kind of want to have that cake and eat it too, like... 
Remember the end of Assassin's Creed 2, where for the in, the first 30 hours of that game, it's building up as like, this is basically okay, yep, we're on a on a 25-year-long quest to kill everybody involved with the Templars, and then you get to the point where you are literally punching the fucking Pope, and, he, and Ezio's like, no, I won't kill you, it won't bring them back. And it's like that's their that's their pullback of like oh well we can't have a protagonist that just fucking murders everyone, so we'll we'll put in like the Aesop like oh revenge doesn't get you what you want, um at the very end for the very last person who you probably should kill at this point because they've been behind everything and leaving them alive will probably let them hurt a lot more people, and and that's the point where Ezio's like nah. And then in the end, he actually has to, like, like that, like, the Assassin's Creed Brotherhood is the aftermath of that choice and, like, all the problems that causes him. Um, See, this is another instance of replace the protagonist of your game with Doom Guy. If you replace the protagonist of that game with Doom Guy, Doom Guy <laughs> would not have a problem punching the Pope to fucking space if he had to. He would do it. Does Doom Guy have a family? It. Like, would Doom Guy have something that would motivate him to revenge? Doom Guy. Doom Guy. He's like a force hates of nature. Demons and yeah. hates things that shoot at him. So I feel like the Pope probably was fucking around with who knows what. <laughs> if you told him the Pope is the reason why there's demons on the moon or Mars, he'd be like, "Okay, I gotta go punch that guy really hard." And you're like, cool. Thanks for that, buddy. <laughs> the hardest I Doom can. Guy. <laughs> so, Assassin's Creed Origins is maybe the first game ever in the Assassin's Creed franchise to do a revenge plot that is straight up like, yeah, this is bad. Like, what you are doing here is is destroying your humanity, and the more you do it, the worse off you're going to be, and it's going to destroy your personal relationships, and you're going to kill people you don't want to kill. Um, and, like, that's kind of the th- the entire thrust of Bayek's character is, like, your revenge plot, like, maybe it's necessary for you as a person to go after that and do that, but it's going to leave you a broken person in the end. Uh, and I think that's a really interesting... Like, it was really cool that they actually did that. Um, they do not do the, like... Like ninety five percent of the way through the game, suddenly you start regretting murdering like <laughs> thousands of people. Um, like Bayek is constantly getting this reinforced through the game that, like, yeah, you know, the more killing you do, the worse off you are. The further you're pushing everyone else away from you, um, and like, like, I'm not gonna go into spoilers, but like the end of the game, like, is very much like, yeah, like people cannot. Like, you cannot come back from this. You cannot, like, get back what you once had at the end of this just because all those other people are dead. Um, so I think that's really cool. Um, I I like their new modern-day story protagonist a bit, I guess. They don't actually do very much in that vein, which is a good decision. I'm kind of surprised they didn't just reboot it. But there is a a modern day you are in the Animus and, and you come out of the Animus sometimes to read documents and have like banter with your uh friend character. Uh and I I think she's pretty cool. Um and I, I guess I'm interested to see if they manage to turn this into a mulligan where they're gonna actually like pay off on the promise of like eventually we're gonna get a modern day assassin's creed game where you take down the templar order once and for all the end that'd be neat 
I don't know if the the reality of of the the corporate capitalist system that fosters the creation of these video games will allow them to actually end the franchise, but you know maybe they'll be able to manage to do that, and that would be nice. Um, Ancient Egypt is a really cool setting. It's really nice that they finally got away from. So, white Western Europe as a setting, uh, and and you know, like because they haven't like like literally they, we had one game in the Middle East, and then everything else after that was Western Europe, or I guess Revelations was Eastern Europe or the Americas, uh, and and like, unless you count the uh, 2D game. Unless you count the side story games, the 2D games, we technically had a female protagonist in the PS Vita game, but, like, you know, all the mainline Assassin's Creed games have been very vanilla and very, like, straightforward, and, like, some of these settings are interesting, like, the French Revolution is a cool setting to explore, although, from what I understand, they didn't really explore it all that well or all that much, um, but, you know, there are other settings that you could do, like, like, you can literally take this and go anywhere with this series, and all you're doing is fucking, like renaissance and early modern period european history and like come on uh so i'm really glad they went back to eastern or to to egypt um they they could easily take um bayek's wife aya make her the protagonist of the next game and um and do something in like rome during the formation of the roman empire that would be really neat it feels like they're kind of setting up for that um which, I mean, I guess is Western European history to an extent, but it's ancient history, so that's more interesting. We don't see Rome a lot in video games. Uh, you could easily take it and go to Persia. You, you could take it anywhere. You could finally do that game in China that you did once in a 2D game as like a, a bone to throw to the people who are saying, like, why don't you fucking do something that's not a bunch of white people? Um, you could do another game in Egypt. Um, that's another interesting thing. They don't... There's there's a lot more to the stuff that happens in Egypt that they could expand on in the next game. Like, they don't do as much as I thought they were going to do with the, the kind of all the crazy politics that were going on at the time. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of optimistic for the future of the series. I don't know if they're doing another one this year or if they're going to adopt that plan now of taking a year off between each game, which is definitely the wiser course of action. It gave us this game. Yeah. No, the, the, making it a biannual series would be the best thing they could possibly do for it, especially given that yeah. they've been fairly decent at supporting this one with DLC. Um, it's got that awkward social uh, mechanic, which I don't really care for, but then it's also did got you, all did that, Did you like... see my tweet that I made a few yeah, days ago where I, I had the image of... You get these missions where you're supposed to avenge uh, other players, um, and I got one that was avenge kill underscore all underscore SJWs. <laughs> <laughs> I screenshot wow. it and threw it on Twitter and just said, I'm going to go with no on this one. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think they've been doing a decent job of doing support with it. There's also all the Egyptian God DLC things where you can get like legendary gear. Also, all the really weird that I, I still mean, that's don't really not, quite understand. That's not Final DLC, Fantasy that's just like stuff. events. Well, right, but like it's it's... They're framed like Destiny events. Like, they happen once a week right, or whatever, right, right. and they're, like, at a one random place on the yeah. map, go do this challenge, and you get legendary gear. And it's it's a way to keep people engaged with the game beyond the initial storyline, because it keeps you coming back to the open world that, you know, I might as well grab this week's legendary gear and then see if I can push towards 100% completion, rather than, I finish yeah. the story, I know what happens, I'm done, let me return it to GameStop. Um, like, yeah, there's some other, like, interesting... Th- 
This game has one of the best justifications um, I've ever seen for why you can continue to play the game after the story is over and continue to play the game in the open world after the story is over. A lot of games are just like, okay, here's the end mission, and you can you can go on the end mission, and then if you want to explore the uh, the open world, we'll just ki- like we'll give you a save that's at the the start before you hit accept to go on the the suicide mission or whatever. Um, this game just straight up drops you in the open world after the end of the game and it totally makes sense with the way the story goes um so like but there's like some side content that i really like to see like um you found the quest with the uh the go and and find all the um circles the stone circles that let you uh look at uh constellations and they got a little constellation puzzle and you get some exposition about the gods from bayek and and a conversation with his son that he apparently had while he was teaching his son about the gods um that's interesting and there's a uh a, a, a sh- i don't know if i should say where it is but there's a secret room underneath uh an important monument um that apparently looks like it will open up when I find all those stone circles and activate them. So I'm interested in like going back and seeing like what that's up with or what's up with that. No, it's, it's probably the best open world game made by Ubisoft since far cry two. Um, I, I would say really three. I liked far cry three though. So I, I, I really enjoy I'm, I'm Well, I haven't finished it, but I'm still, I am enjoying this game. Assassin's Creed origins is, I mean, if I had one complaint, it's that they finally filled in all the mechanics. I mean, I've said this like eight times on the show at this point, but they finally filled in all the systems that were missing from Assassin's Creed, and they filled them with kind of generic video game stuff, loot stuff, light Dark Souls-y combat. But it all works, and it actually gives you something to do, whereas before the game was sort of like that so so shallow, it's boring stealth, and then basically just DDR for uh, combat that was super shallow too, and, and nothing ever felt like it had any weight or any skill. Um, the fact that now there is stuff to find and things to do and a combat system that's actually pretty engaging means that, like, it makes exploring worthwhile. And they already had... I mean, if you've played previous Assassin's Creed games, you know this. They already had worlds that really felt fleshed out and beautiful. You just couldn't do anything in them. Now you can do stuff in them. It's really boring, standard video gamey stuff, but it's stuff to do in a very pretty environment, and it, and it works. Yeah. I will say also, a lot of the side eagle. quests were really good. Like, like it's not there. There are some side quests that are kill ten rats kind of stuff, but a lot of them aren't. Well, some some of it is literally like on the map. You have to kill the mega crocodile or the mega hippo. Uh, yeah, but those aren't side quests. Everybody those are, like, loves into an area. those kind of quests, though. I love quests <laughs> that are like, all right, this is the biggest version of this like weak little dude that you've been killing this entire game. Get him. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I think, like, no. some things that are gamified are okay because they're fun. You know what I mean? Just because they're from video games of past doesn't mean they're bad. Oh, totally. And, and like, the, the best one of the kill the kill the biggest of the littlest things uh, that I saw was the vultures. You have to kill the mama vulture from a bunch of little regular vultures. And I didn't have a bow and arrow at the time. So I'm waiting for it to come down and attack me. And I'm, like, swap, <laughs> swatting at it with my knife. And it almost actually killed me. It was really sad. It's it's The game is the best argument um, I think I've ever come across for... Or at least that I can remember in recent memory. Um, for the idea that it is better to... Do something that's tried and true well than it is to innovate and fail. 
I don't know which if it's a I don't necessarily message, agree but... with in all situations, but like that that is basically the design philosophy behind this game is like they they rather than at all attempting to to forge their own path and create something that was unique, they just did what other games do and did that in a way that was competent to pretty good. At least in terms of gameplay. Obviously the setting is unique, the story is is not terribly unique, but but unique for triple A games anyway. It's also really pretty low poly animals aside. <laughs> yeah. Uh do you have anything you want to talk about, Chris? Um Are you, do you in fact play video games? I play a lot of video games. I don't know if I have anything you guys would be super interested in talking about. Um I tweeted last night I've I've been playing through Mr. Shifty because that was in the Humble Monthly. Um I bring it up only because I really, really dig that it's basically the uh, Nightcrawler fight from X-Men 2 when he breaks into the White House. It's like turning that into a video game, and I kind of love it. Nice. It, it's basically a top-down brawler, but you can teleport, so you basically just teleport out of people's line of sight for guns, teleport behind them, punch them in the head, and then teleport away. It, it really is that fight from breaking into the White House, and it's awesome. Um, Interesting. What else? Um... I Have picked you played up Opus... Hitchhiker yet? Hitchhikers? I was in the monthly bundle too. Oh no, I have not played that yet. No, I need to. Um, I picked up Opus Magnum um, in as a protest purchase against uh, Humble or Gog because I'm grumpy. Um... Oh right, yeah, they had that thing where um, Gog rejected them on curation grounds. And are really selective about what they're what they're allowed to say, and it's a whole big thing. Yeah. But I, I picked it up, and I'm really, really enjoying it. And I think I'm I will enjoy it more than their other titles because it's far less um, far less uh, nerdy. I I don't know how else to describe it. Like their previous <laughs> games are games like the TIA 100 or whatever calculator emulator that basically is TIS like TIS 100. Yes, that is basically like emulating a calculator that you can program, and that's cool. But and I say this as a guy with a computer science major, really nerdy. And I'm not. I'm not. I do that for a living. I'm not doing assembler programming in my spare time. That sounds like hell. Um, I mean, whereas they did space chem. Did they? Well, maybe that's why I'm yeah. enjoying Opus Magnum so much because it basically is space chem too. Um, but I like Opus Magnum a lot more than space chem. Um, space chem is a little bit. I bounced off of space chem. Um, it's pretty. I, I don't know. It, it, I, I never quite clicked with Space Chem. It was very, very, very esoteric and very technical, and I just did not have the time to learn it. Opus Magnum eases you into it very, very slowly and has a much more simple list of reagents because it's in a fictional alchemical universe and also has story a storyline with characters and art, and it's gorgeous. And just, it's like Space Chem, but, but just designed to appeal to a much wider audience, and, and, it, and it worked for me. I really, really dig uh, uh, Opus Magnum. Um, I also dig that, like, there's there's just beating the level, and then there's optimizing it for area, cost, and uh, efficiency, and the programmer in me actually really digs that, as opposed to the other things that seem to really, really, like, oh my god, this is, like, working. Uh, this f- feels like it just triggers the same things in my brain that, why I like doing the job I do, which is, like, okay, I got the thing building the thing, how can I make this cheaper, how can I, how can I reduce the size of this so that it runs you know twice as fast are there any steps here that are just stupid and redundant that i wasn't thinking through and like staring at your own solution and trying to make it even better is is it's fun it's there's something about this game that really makes it fun where i, I just bounced off of uh space game um how much time we got 
Honestly, I don't know. We're probably like 20 minutes over at this point. I really, I'm not sure. Yeah, we are. Oh, well. Um, anyone else got anything else they want to talk about? Not if we're 20 minutes over. I, I watched a haunted, yeah. haunted House documentary and that I want to talk about that, but I think we can save that for later. Wait until all the other Haunted House nerds are here. <laughs> I think I'm the only one. I thought I mean, that Rutzgarn you, like... Rutzgarn be a Haunted House nerd by this point. Yeah, you, like, pulled Rutzgarn into it, and I know that Alex went to one this year, and I think you're, like, okay, influencing people. Yeah. But not me. I don't give a fuck. I have never stepped foot in a fucking Haunted House. I mean, you would be God, one of those Galaxy people that would Gun just start afraid. punching people. Galaxy Gun is afraid. I just don't like ha- feeling anxious, and that's all it is. It's just anxiety. Yeah, well, I, I so agree. no thanks. I don't see you, the appeal. You you would not like this documentary then, because it's it basically is a condemnation of extreme ha- haunted houses, and it's awkward. Wait, it hates haunted houses? Cool. It it, it doesn't like extreme haunted houses. Well, we'll talk about it some other time. I I don't want to get into it. Okay. Okay. I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast will be very grateful for you leaving that that trail, that breadcrumb, and then we'll just never follow up on it. I I will talk about it if Alex and Rutzkarn want to. At Campster on Twitter, if you want to talk about extreme haunted houses and why they're good and Campster should have logical arguments about why they're not. Don't at me about Homestuck. I know nothing about it. At Rutzkarn about Homestuck. He knows everything. He's a genius. I like how him knowing everything about Homestuck equates to him being a genius. I don't you understand. You can at me about Homestar. I'm cool with that. At me yes. at Nice Move Mumbles about Homestar Runner. That sounds fun. You can't Do that. at me because I don't about have why a he doesn't know anything about Homestar Runner. Because I don't know what it even... Is it a comic book? Is it a website? Is it a novella? Okay, series? no! Nope, right. nope, 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 nope. I don't know anything about... <laughs> I, I'll just get mad. <laughs> oh, wait, you're talking... You meant Homestar, and I, I meant Homestuck. Oh, ho- oh, yeah. I was like, how the fuck? No, I've been I, I've, quoting yeah, Homestar Runner a comic for years! Book from the 90s. I'm, I'm vaguely aware of what, what Homestar is. I, I don't have any idea what Homestuck is. It's okay. Um, I was explaining what the disaster artist is about to my husband, and he's like, what's the room? Is that the movie where a girl's locked in a shed with a little boy? I was like, oh my god. (laughs) Someone from the internet who doesn't know what the fucking room is. Yeah. (laughs) So did you show him the room? He didn't get it. Yeah, I showed him. I was like, here's all the great clips from the room. And he was just like, what? I don't... What? I'm like, but it's, you know, he didn't get it. But I'm glad that he did it, because he's pure. <laughs> Have you seen the Star Wars edit of, of Tommy Wiseau in Star Wars? No. But oh, I'll go shit. look that up. It's the best thing ever. I guess I have to link that in the show notes now. <laughs> oh, wait, if we're, we're not done. Going? I don't know. Are we done? Uh, goodbye, we're everyone. Done. I gotta go eat. I gotta go Good eat. Good night. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Bye. Bye. I'm a fucking Jedi or whatever. <laughs> I want the show to go out on that. <laughs> Don't worry, it will. <laughs>